Welcome to the Restoration Church Weekly Podcast. As you listen, we pray that you are inspired by today's podcast to pursue your God-given calling to reach just one more. Thanks for listening. Hello, church. Good morning. morning. It is so great to be here. I love uh, Restoration family and Pastor Nate and Pastor Jeremy and the staff have been so wonderful at treating us and welcoming us. Uh, I, this is one of the greatest joys and privilege of my life. I've been preaching, believe it or not, over 50 years now. Um, so it's been a long time. And the longer I preach, the more I'm amazed at Jesus, the more I'm amazed at his word. And so I'm going to share something with you today that is really good news. But I got to tell you this, I'm going to read what was a very radical statement in the Bible, so radical that the audience that received this verse written to them probably actually made an audible gasp when it was read. So how many of you like radicals? Well, there's a few of you. (laughs) I always uh, thought of myself as a radical. I still drive a Harley, so... uh, Although my wife won't drive with me anymore. She says I'm too old. She doesn't trust me on it. But I wrote it this week, so it was a lot of fun. Anyways, this is a radical statement. Um, Those of you who are Star Trek fans will get the title of my sermon if you want to go ahead and put the first slide up. Uh, I titled the sermon, Come Boldly. And uh, going where no one has gone before. That's That's the main line on Star Trek. Um, Although I probably should have changed this to saying going where almost no one has gone before because there was one guy once a year that got to go to this place. Go ahead and put my text up there. I want you to see this verse because it doesn't sound radical to you, but the audience that got this, it was a radical statement. And I'll explain that in a second. First, let me read it. This is in Hebrews 4.16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that you may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You say, well, that doesn't sound so radical. Who was this written to? What book is the name of this uh, in the Bible here that this uh, that was written to? Hebrews. You know who the Hebrews were? They were a bunch of Old Testament saints that were still steeped in the traditions of the Old Testament, but were trying to embrace Jesus as the Messiah that actually came, but they were still holding on to a lot of their Judaism their Old Testament understanding of God. And I want you to know in the Old Testament, God was a tough concept. People tended to be afraid of God. Even God's people sometimes were afraid of him under the Old Covenant. And this goes way back, it goes way back to a time uh, in the Garden of Eden. Remember, uh, there was a couple there called Adam and Eve, remember them? Well, it says in Genesis that God came down in the cool of the day and fellowshiped with them. Now, how cool can that be? To be able to actually have fellowship with God directly, face to face, and God did this daily until something happened. Once they sinned, what did they do? They went and hid themselves, right? They ran away from God because they were afraid of him. That's the natural tendency of people that have never accepted Jesus, is to be afraid of him. They, they don't see God as their, as their friend, they see God as their enemy. Let me tell you a true story that's happened years ago. There was a gal 
very nice looking gal who was driving her car alone on the, on the road and she came to a stoplight and next to her pulled up one of these big semis that has a tall cab on it. And she was stopped there for a while and she noticed that the, out of the corner of her eye that the truck driver was eyeballing her, kind of looking at her a lot. And then he starts motioning to her and so she's getting nervous because she, she's attractive, she's by herself and she decides she's not even gonna look at him because, and so he's yelling at her and, and she just can't wait for that light to turn green so she can get away from him. So sure enough, the light turns green, she hits the, the metal to the pedal and she takes off fast. To her amazement and to her shock, she sees this truck driver just pulling full steam. Evidently his truck was empty, he'd already delivered his load and he was able to keep up with her. So he starts following her. So the more he follows her, she goes faster, hoping a police will pull her over, but no police were there when she was speeding. And the truck driver stayed with her, stayed right on her tail as close as he possibly could. So she's getting more and more afraid the faster that she goes and the, and the more she tries swerving in and out of traffic, the truck driver does the same and stays with her. So she thinks, well, what am I gonna do? I gotta get away from this guy. So at the last minute, she sees an exit coming up on the interstate where she was on. And she thought, I'll just get off on that exit. Maybe I can find a gas station that's open. I'll just go into the gas station, jump out of my car, run inside and ask if I can use the phone and call the police. So sure enough, she pulls off the exit and she thought, well, if he's not really trying to come after me, he won't follow me off the exit. But guess what he did? Followed her right off the exit. And so now she's really afraid and he's, he's staying right with her as she goes through town and finally she sees a, a gas station open. She pulls inside the gas station, jumps out of her car, runs inside, asks the attendant, can I use the phone? To her amazement, she sees this truck driver pull into the gas station right up to her car. He jumps out of his cab and she's thinking, oh no. But instead of coming inside where she was, he went to the back door of her car, opened it up and pulled a man out that had a knife and was in the back seat hiding behind her to rape her. So who she was running from was actually her savior, not the man who was trying to do something to her. And she was trying to get away from the very one that actually saved her life. That's the way the world is. That's the way the people are that are outside of Christ. They see God in a, a kind of frightening way. In the Old Testament, once Adam and Eve sinned and they, they fell in sin, they immediately hid themselves. God came down in the cool of the day and couldn't find them anywhere where they normally were. And finally they said, Adam, where are you? And of course he said, well, we're hiding. And God said, why are you hiding? And he said, because... Of course, then he starts the, the shift blaming, you know. Well, the woman you gave me, she caused me to sin. And then he turned to Eve and he said, what did you do? And, he, and she shifts the blame too. She says, well, the serpent, he's the one that said we could be like you. And so immediately they're hiding and they try to sew fig leaves together to cover their shame and their nakedness because to be in the presence of a holy God when you're not, a, when you're not a, in a right relationship with God is a scary thing. And so God instead takes and slays an animal and takes the animal skins and covers them temporarily so they didn't feel the shame and nakedness. God actually creates the first blood sacrifice to cover the sins of Adam and Eve. And ever since that day, we've had this anti-relationship with God. We've, we run from him because we're afraid of him. Unfortunately, sometimes we as God's people feel this way about God. We're afraid of him almost, because we, we know ourselves. How many of you know that you're still a sinner? I'll raise my hand. And so sometimes we don't think God's on our side. 
under the old covenant, well, I'm going to take you all the way through the old covenant here a little bit. Um, did, we, did we go to the next slide already? Can we go to the next one? Okay, I want you to read this because this was also written to the Hebrews trying to help them understand this old covenant concept. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship and an, also an earthly sacrifice. The tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand, the table, the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of banna, Aaron's shaft that had budded, and the stone tablets of the Covenant. Under the old covenant, because there was this kind of broken relationship with God, God was trying to find a way to connect to us. Under the old covenant, that was a difficult process. Uh, remember when, it, when the Israelis came, or the Jewish nation came out of Egypt and they were traveling, God had given Moses instructions to build this tabernacle. And in the tabernacle would be the Ark of the Covenant, which would represent his presence. In fact, the top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. That's where one guy, one Jewish guy called the high priest, once a year on Yom Kippur, uh, the Day of Atonement, would go in with a blood sacrifice and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat so that all the sins of Israel could be forgiven for another year. And he could only do this once a year. So to be in God's presence under the Old Covenant was a tough act. It wasn't easy to get into God's presence. But God was desperately trying to find a way to connect to man. And so Moses was instructed to carry the Ark of the Covenant and this tabernacle was to go with them on the journey because God's presence wanted, to, he, God wanted to be present among them. That's a powerful truth from the very beginning of the fall of man to today. God wants to be with us. Do you understand how powerful that is? God wants to have a relationship with you. The word come uh, is an invitation by God. Do you know how many times the word come is used in the Bible? I just looked this up before the service because I wasn't absolutely sure. Almost 2,000 times in the King James Version and another version almost 1,500 times. That's a lot of invitations to come. God wants to have a relationship with us, but under the Old Covenant, it was a tough thing to do. I think there was another slide, wasn't there? Because um, the next one after it has the picture of the tabernacle. Can you go to that one? This is what the tabernacle, or the temple, even the Solomon built it. He built it on the same structure. That's what it looked like. And the average Jewish person could be on the outside, but couldn't go inside. One tribe called the Levites were allowed to go into the holy place when it was their assignment as priests, but they could only go into the holy place, that one larger room in the middle there. And then that one guy, that high priest, had the privilege of actually going into the presence of God himself once a year. Now, God was trying to create this mechanism, but it was, it was not easy to get into God's presence. In fact, most of the time under the Old Covenant, God's people were afraid of his presence. Moses went up into the, up into the Mount Sinai to get the uh, Ten, Ten Commandments, and when God was giving the Ten Commandments and coming down and instructing him, God said, Moses, tell the people to gather around the mountain and I'll speak to them. God wanted to speak to them himself. But you know what the people said? Ooh, they saw the lightning and the thundering and all the noise when God was up there talking to Moses. And you can read it in Exodus. I think it's around chapter 15 or, or, or chapter 20. Uh, it says that the people told Moses, 
You go and talk to God. We're too afraid of him. So don't have him come down and speak to us lest we perish. They were afraid of God. Although God wanted to speak to them, but they were afraid because they were unholy and he was holy and that made them afraid. So it was, it was very tough to get into the presence of God. Um, of course, this high priest went in there once a year. What a privilege that was for him. He got to actually be in the very presence of God, uh, actually. But it was a scary thing for him, too, because if he went in improperly or with improper motives or he hadn't followed all the instructions or rule, you know what happened to him when he went into the Holy of Holies? He died. And even the Ark of the Covenant, even when it was traveling, if they started to stumble, and this happened on one occasion, and just a normal Jew reached out to touch the Ark of the Covenant to stabilize it from falling over, what happened to him? He died from touching the presence of God because he wasn't supposed to. That was related to only a certain group of people that were allowed to carry it. So you can see why they were a little afraid under the Old Covenant uh, because it was tough. And it doesn't say this in the Bible, but in some of the extra Jewish writings, the Talmud uh, shares a couple stories about a couple of high priests that went in improperly and died. And guess what? If he died inside the Holy of Holies, how do you get him out? Because nobody else could go in there or they would die. So they came up with this ingenious uh, mechanism that's listed, it's, it's talked about in the Talmud. And they would tie a rope around one ankle and they put bells on the bottom of his, uh, his robes. And so when he went behind this, and this curtain was real thick. I'm going to show you a picture of the curtain eventually here. Uh, this curtain was huge. It was massive that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place. It was a massive curtain of many, many layers, had gold threads in it, so it was very heavy. It was hard to even get behind it. And when, uh, when this high priest went in there, they could only tell that he was still alive uh, conducting the services of putting blood on the mercy seat if they could hear the bells still jingling on his robe. If it suddenly stopped and they heard a thud, then they would take the rope and pull his body out because nobody could go in there. So that kind of inspired a little fear about being in God's presence. And by the way, I think the Talmud said that happened at least, at least two times they mentioned, I think that that actually occurred. So it was a tough act to be in the very presence of God. It was very fearful. You had to go through all these regulations and all these rules. The law was very explicit because God was trying to protect his, and it wasn't because God was, was saying, I don't want you to be in my presence. He was just saying, I want you to be protected when you come into my presence. I want you to be, I want you to be able to be safe when you come into my presence. But God all along has had a plan to change that. And it doesn't happen until we get to the next slide. Go to the next one, if you would. In Acts, we read this. It says, our forefathers had the tabernacle of the testimony with them in the desert. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. Having received the tabernacle, our fathers under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David. They carried the presence of God with them everywhere. In fact, Moses said that when he got out in the desert and the people started complaining about how they had such a wonderful life in Egypt as slaves and uh, wanted to go back. And, and uh, God, you know, sometimes we think that our life before God was wonderful and we exaggerate it. And that's kind of what the Israelites did when they got in the wilderness. But, but Moses prayed to God and said, God, 
do not go, do not send me with these people unless you go with me. Moses wanted God's presence desperately in his life, and God was willing to honor that. He said, all right, I'll make the mechanisms for you. We'll have this tabernacle, we'll have the Ark of the Covenant, wherever you go, and they carried it into the Promised Land, they carried it through the Jordan River, that's actually what caused the river to separate. The priests put the Ark on their shoulders, and as soon as they stepped into waters, the waters parted, just like it had parted for Moses when he struck the Red Sea with his staff. And I always thought it's interesting, God doesn't, never does the same miracle the same way. He always changes. That's why we need to be open to change. Because God does things differently as time goes on. And 40 years later, he, he parted the waters, but he did it a different way. He used the Ark of the Covenant. The presence of God in the, in the flood caused it to separate so that they went across safely. So they were aware of God's presence, but they didn't get to appreciate it in the same way that we are gonna get down to the new covenant and if you go to the next uh, slide there, this was the Jerusalem temple. I want you to see how hard it was to get into the presence of God on this one because I've got the list of where people could go. Let's say you were a Gentile. First off, Gentiles couldn't even get near the temple. They were on the way on the outside and they were out in area 13 and 12. It was the court of the Gentiles, way on the outside. So if you were a Gentile, to be in God's presence wasn't, wasn't a very accessible thing. But if you were happened to be a woman, there was a court of women, that's number area number nine, you got to go a little bit closer into the presence of God if you were a Jewish woman. But Jewish men had an even greater privilege because they got to go into areas uh, five and uh, in area five, or not area five, which is the area here for the, just the regular Jews. It was area six, the court of Israel. That was the area that the average Jewish person could go. And then there were the Levites, which, could, which, if they were the priests on duty, could go into the area three, that holy of holy, I mean the holy place. They were allowed in there and they would serve and do ministry for the people of God and bringing the people before the Lord. But only, number one there, the holy of holies again, that was only the high priest once a year. What a dramatic event that was uh, for that one guy to be able to be in the presence of God. And I'm sure he went in there a little fearful a little afraid because God uh, was so awesome. But I want you to see something that happens uh, in the fullness of time. The Bible says in the fullness of time, Jesus came born of a virgin and his name was to be called what? Emmanuel, do you remember what that means? God with us. You, you catch the importance of that statement that, that description of who the Messiah would be. He would be God with us. This is, the, by the way, Christianity is the only religion on the face of this planet that God came and sought us out. On every other religion, you have to go find God. You have to try to discover him. You have to get through certain levels of, of ecstasy before you can experience him. All other religions on this planet also have their founders in their graves still. You can visit their grave sites and their bodies are still there. There's only one religion on earth that had God coming after us and it's called Christianity. And by the way, I've been in, I've been in Jerusalem and I've been in uh, the tomb and guess what? It's still empty because our savior changed everything. Go to the next slide if you would. This is an interesting little passage in Matthew that Jesus is on the cross, he's hanging there, he's dying, he's taking his last breath while that's happening and he's being crucified just outside the gates of uh, the walls of Jerusalem or just outside the gates there, as he's being crucified, 
The high priest was probably in the Holy of Holies, as were the Levites probably in the holy place. And there were people that were in the temple area ministering and serving. And we, we read this interesting verse of, of uh, Matthew recording the moment that Jesus dies. And notice what it says here. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, the bombs broke up, I mean, the tombs broke open, the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. And there's a few more verses. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and peered to many people. When the centurion and those with him that were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. This is such a powerful statement by God in this moment that Jesus takes his last breath. And as he dies, something terrifying happens in the temple in town. Suddenly that huge uh, curtain, I think the curtains, I got a picture of it next, don't I? There it is. That massive curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies begins to be ripped in two from the top to the bottom. Now, normally in an earthquake, it would have torn it from the top bottom up because of the way the rocks would have split but it's very clear in scripture that it says it was torn from the top to the bottom. That's because God was tearing that temple. You know what he was saying at that moment? While Jesus was hanging on the cross and, and uh, dying for our sins, God was sending a message to the, the Jewish people as, as he was to all of us that he wanted the way wide open to his presence. He didn't want anybody to feel they couldn't come into the actual presence of God because Jesus became the, the sacrificial lamb. And he also became the high priest. He did it all. He sacrificed everything because God has always wanted to have a relationship with us. Let that sink in for just a second. God wants to have a relationship with you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what sins you have committed. I don't care what way you have lived. If you want to come to God, the way is wide open. It's completely wide open. When God split the temple, now I don't know who the, the high priest was thinking in that room, but when that temple, when that, that veil tore in half, that's right, what it looks like right there. When that tore in half, the high priest that was behind that curtain must have thought, oh my word, and the, and the Levites are in the holy place probably turned away because they didn't want to see that. They didn't want to see the Ark of the Covenant. They were probably afraid. But this was a powerful message to the Jewish leaders that God had just opened the way. It was no longer, it was no longer necessary to follow a bunch of man-made rules and very important instructions. It was no longer necessary to be afraid. Jesus had paid the ultimate price. He was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth was laid. In other words, this was God's plan all along was to redeem us because God wants to have a relationship with us. He desperately, that's why there's almost 2,000 times the word come. Remember Levi, Matthew, since I'm referencing Matthew's gospel, Matthew was a Jewish tax collector. He was hated by his own family because he was thought of as a traitor to the Jewish people. He was collecting taxes for Rome. So his own family rejected him, his parents rejected him, because his family rejected him and his people rejected him, the synagogue wouldn't uh, permit him to even come and worship, which meant that God had rejected him. So he was rejected by everybody. Now he was filthy rich, in fact, Levi, if you look into history, Levi probably had one of the most 
uh, prolific um, tax collecting booths of anywhere. He was right on the Sea of Galilee, so he was, he was taxing everything. The boats, the fish, anybody walking on the beach down there for the day. He, he was free to tax anybody for anything, and he was filthy rich. Suddenly, Jesus is down there teaching and uh, notices the tax booth and walks up to this Jewish tax collector who had been rejected by God, by his people, by his family, by everybody. Jesus walks up to his desk and says three things. Come, follow me. And you know what the Bible says? Matthew immediately got up and followed Jesus. You know I immediately got up, don't you? Because no Jew, no high priest, no Jewish brother, no Jewish parent, no Jewish uh, uh, family or neighbor, nobody would ever have even addressed him as a friend. And when Jesus, who was proposed to be the Messiah and had large crowds around him while he was teaching, walks up to him personally and says, come, follow me. He's overwhelmed that God wants him because nobody wanted him before that. And he doesn't even think twice about the money he's got, the, the profession he's got, the booth he has. He just immediately gets up and follows Jesus and becomes a devout follower and one of the disciples because suddenly he realized God wanted him. As filthy as his society considered him, as rejected as he was by everybody, God wanted him. You want to know something? God wants you. If you're here in this room or if you're watching online, I want you to know something. God desperately wants you. He wants you because he loves you. He loves you so much that he didn't want an old covenant with a bunch of rules to be the only way that we could have fellowship with him. He sent his only begotten son named Jesus Christ, God with us, to die on a cruel cross, to shed his own blood, to act as our high priest, to make propitiation for our sins, for the forgiveness of our sins, so that he could have an open and good relationship with you and you don't have to be afraid of him. That's something to shout at. You know what Jesus did? I'll give you another illustration. There was a, a deputy sheriff, his name was Lloyd Preston, I think that was his name. He was a uh, deputy sheriff in Salt Lake City. This is a true story. This happened back in the 1990s. And uh, Lloyd Preston was teaching a class of, of uh, rookies uh, at the Salt Lake City uh, Library, I think it was, or the town offices. And um, he was teaching a bunch of guys you know, that were brand new to the force. And he was, uh, he was on, had been a deputy sheriff for a number of years. They were all plain clothes that day because it was just a class. And he had finished teaching the class, and his class had been dismissed. They had all left the building already, and he was tidying up and gathering his things. And as he stepped out into the hallway, he noticed an armed uh, hostage taker taking and rounding up people that were in the hallway and forcing them into a side room where he was screaming and, and shouting, I'm going to kill you all. And so as Preston looked down the hall and saw this, he, he noticed the gunman didn't see him. He thought, what am I gonna do? How can I save these people? And the only thing he could think of at the moment is he thought he did a quick count as quick as he could and he counted there were 19 hostages that this guy had rounded up. He thought, I wonder if I could just slip in among the hostages and be one of them. And this guy hopefully hasn't actually made a real count 
and he won't notice that I slipped in among them. And so that's exactly what he did. He slipped in and became one of the hostages willingly on his part. Now, he had a revolver, even though he was in plain clothes, he did have his pistol on him, and it was hidden underneath his shirt. And so as they got in the room, the, the gunman locked the room. The police, of course, made a call to see if they could talk him down, and he was full of rage, and he just said, no, I don't want to make any deals with the police. I'm going to shoot each one of these one at a time every minute. And he lined them up in the order he was going to shoot them. And, of course, they were all terrified. Well, Prescott got number one spot. He, just, he, he volunteered to take the number one position. And as he got up there and as the gunman started to raise his gun, he pulled his own pistol out and shot and killed this, this gunman and saved all 19 hostages. None of them knew who he was, but he had slipped in among them as their savior. You know, that's what Jesus did. In the fullness of time, the scripture says, God sent forth his son. Satan thought he had the onus on this planet. And he thought he had destroyed everything from the Garden of Eden when he got Adam and Eve to sin and corrupt the human race. And he thought he was, he was flying high because Jesus now was being crucified on a cross. But I want you to know, Jesus came and slipped in among us as a hostage. And he redeemed us by defeating the enemy of our soul. And Jesus rose from the dead. He's ever alive and to this day. And he is our savior. And so Jesus Christ has made the whole difference. Listen, this isn't a complicated situation to have a relationship with God. You just have to say, God, come into my heart. Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. If you're willing to do that, I don't care what you've done. Your sins can be forgiven. Now, you'll learn to walk, and that's what reading the Bible is about. You'll learn how to walk, but God desperately wants to have a vibrant, healthy relationship with you. He wants to do what the name of your church says. He wants to restore. He wants to, you to experience restoration. Uh, I think, is that the last slide? I think I have one more text to read. Uh, oh, and that just brings us back to my original text. Therefore, since we have a high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we practice, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we have, yet without sin. So then we get to this verse, which was a radical statement to make to a bunch of Hebrews. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Do you understand how radical that statement was to these Hebrews? Who were afraid to come into God's presence and now the writer of Hebrews, and we don't know who it was, it was either likely Paul or I think it was Barnabas that wrote this, said, no, you can come boldly, you can come confidently uh, into the presence of God freely because God has opened the way wide open through Jesus Christ. And so then Paul kind of sums this up, and then we're going to close this with a, a video that my wife's going to sign to. But if you go to the next passage, Paul writes this to the Corinthian church who was struggling in their relationship a bit with God. <clears throat> he says, as God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time I heard you. On the day of salvation I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now, today is the day of salvation. Listen, if you don't have a real relationship with God, I'm inviting you today to make that decision. Today is the day of salvation. All you have to do is say yes. 
God's not somebody you have to be afraid of. He will help you in your time of trouble. That's what, he, that's what the Hebrew writer was saying, is let us come boldly. You don't even have to come timidly. You can come into God's presence uh, freely say, yeah, but you don't know the way I really am. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't need to know the way you really are. God knows the way you really are, and he still says, come boldly. Think how amazing that is. You know, God says to Dennis Marquardt, come boldly anytime. And I'm going, well, you know, there's still things about me I don't like. God says, I, I love you. God loves every single one of you in this room, and those of you that are watching online, he loves each one of you. But you still have to say yes. You still have to say yes to him. There's a song years ago that was uh, very popular, and I'm going to have Bevy Joe come and sign to it, but the song sums up the entirety of the sermon in one song. So, Bevy Joe, if you'll come, we'll do that song now. And then we're going to do some baptisms. Cool. On a rugged cross, justice now. 